the Psalms are the Psalms are words that allow us to easily enter in. They are words that either have been spoken in our hearts or spoken with our lips in times of joy and struggle, in times of praise and worship, in times of deep wondering, where is God? The Psalms have been a place for us to live uh, and, and to allow emotions to come out, emotions that the psalmists express and that are okay I think as Christians, we can sometimes have this idea that, that to express emotions can be wrong, or at, at the least, they can be unspiritual. And we just find a totally different experience when we enter into these Psalms and we read as David and Korah and Moses and Asaph, the many write, the writers of the Psalms express their struggles with the Lord, their struggles with life, the joys, the highs, the lows, the fears, the anger. They jump right in. And God, in His kindness, responds to them. Now, what we learned last week, that there are different authors in the Psalms, David, Moses, Korah, Asaph, and, and one who is anonymous, which is actually the Psalm that we'll be looking at this morning. There's a thousand years difference between when the first Psalm was written and when the last Psalm was written. So this is an experience of generations upon generations upon generations. The Psalms weren't written in like, a, like an author writes a book over a period of months or ye a few years. It was written over a millennium. Which is encouraging because it covers all the different aspects of life over an amazing period of time. The Psalter, as it is referred to, is divided into five books that parallel the five books of Moses designed in that way. And we learn that there are seven different types or genres in the psalm so that when you're reading, you're not just picking up and reading something that does appeal to your emotions and, and helps you express what you're feeling, but there's, there's something behind it. There was a reason it was written, and there is there's a, a type that, that helps you understand what this psalm is about. So there's talking, you know, the psalms, there are wisdom psalms, and there are hymns, there are laments and kingship psalms, psalms of confidence, psalms of remembrance, and psalms of thanksgiving, and each one has been written for a purpose. Each one has been written so that we can connect. The Psalms are prayers. They're poems, expressions of our emotion, and a place where we are meant to find God in the middle of struggles, in the middle of life. As we read the Psalms, both privately and corporately, and as you read through the Psalms, you will see that it was primarily a corporate book. Yes, they're great for our devotions, but the Psalms are a community book. They were expressed at many times in a community setting. 
we must, like the psalmist, I want us, like the psalmist, to be able to be free to express our emotions as we enter into God's presence. But we must, like the psalmist, never remain where we began. We are always meant to find our way back to God. As I mentioned last week when the Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper? There is that expression of frustration. Why do I see those around me who don't know God? Why do they have it better than I do? And that's where the psalmist begins as he's struggling. But that's not where he ends. Because he ends, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Not my prosperity. Not my material things. I've made God my refuge. That I might proclaim his works. So this morning, we are going to continue on in our psalm series. Would you pray with me? Father, we love being here this morning. We're so grateful that you have brought us together as a family. Lord, the benefits are too numerous to even name. And we're so grateful that you've given us this amazing, supernatural, powerful book that we might learn more about you and become more like your son. And Lord, that's what we ask this morning, that you would help us do that. Even as we read an Old Testament psalm that does not mention the name of Christ, Lord, we know he's there. Help us to see Christ and help us to draw near to you. Lord, I pray for this church this morning that you would, by your spirits working, open their eyes. Give them ears to hear. Give them hearts to receive. And would you bless this church this morning? And Father, I simply ask you to help me. Help me to love and care and pastor this church, my church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, most books have introductions. I don't know if you like to read. I love to read, and I sometimes read the introductions. I don't always read the introductions. The author in the introduction typically explains why he wrote the book and what he expects the reader to receive from the book. Most introductions are a bit dry in reading. Uh, It's the opening lines of the very first chapter that are designed to grab your attention so you'll keep reading. Opening lines often determine whether or not you're going to read through the book or use it as a coaster for your drink. The, the opening lines have a purpose. Listen to John Owen's opening lines in his book, Temptation and Sin. That what I have 
direction to contribute to the carrying on of the work of mortification in believers may receive order and perspicuity, I shall lay a foundation of it in those words of the apostle. What a page turner. (laughs) I mean, doesn't it just grip you? You just can't wait to get into the book. No, not so. You read that opening line and you think, okay, I can't wait to hear somebody else preach on Owens because I'm not reading through it. But now listen to Charles Dickens' opening lines in A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It makes you want to go on, does it not? Or in A Christmas Carol, he simply starts, Marley was dead. (laughs) Ooh, Let's move on. Why is Marley dead? Who is Marley? There's, there's this intrigue and there's this, these questions that come about. And these, these lines are designed to stir your interest and draw you in. And Psalm 1 is meant to do the same. Look at Psalm 1 with me this morning. Look at how the author, who is anonymous, although some believe it is David, but look at the author's opening lines Blessed is the man who. I'm going to stop there. Blessed is the man who. Blessed is who is the man. And what does it mean to be blessed? What what is going on? Who, Who blesses him? What does he need to do to be blessed? Can I be that man? And it does make you want to move on. And this psalm is one of the most well-known psalms, probably one of the most, I think, memorized psalms in Scripture. But what a perfect introduction to the book of Psalms. It evokes all measure to me of hope and faith and gratitude and praise because someone is being blessed. And as I open up and read this, I am hoping that someone is me. I would rather read that than Larry is dead. (laughs) That blessed is the man. It tells us something that can happen. And knowing it's in the Bible, it tells us something about God. It communicates something about God because we know that God blesses. We know God blesses us, and it means that there's so much meaning behind it, if that we are blessed by God. If I am that man, it means I have fellowship with God. It means God is in my life and doing something with me and for me. It's a great opening line. And Psalm Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. So if we talked about the seven different types of psalms, the seven genres, the first one I talked about, mentioned earlier, is a wisdom psalm. And this is a wisdom psalm, as is Psalm 2, which we'll study next week. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm, and it's an introduction, actually, to the entire Psalter, the entire book of Psalms. It is, it's the gateway, it's the opening, it's the opening words to the entire Psalter. And in reality, to understand the book of Psalms, we really need to grasp what this Psalm is about. 
We need to understand what this psalm's motivation and purpose is for us to understand the entire Psalter. The author's intention in Psalm 1 is to instruct the reader, to instruct us, that all the other psalms are dependent upon this one, dependent upon obeying what this one, this one psalm tells us we're to do. All other psalms hinge on living out the instruction of this psalm. This is, this is the opening. So, I mean, I mean going back to our, our Dickens illustration, if, if you didn't know, when you opened up A Christmas Carol and you didn't have Marley was dead, and then all of a sudden Marley peer, appears on the scene, you could be really confused. How did we get here? And so here in Psalm 1, the, the psalmist, his intention is, let's lay the groundwork, let's open the gate to all the other psalms by providing a template for you to understand where you're going in the rest of the psalms. And like other wisdom books in Scripture, Proverbs or Job or Ecclesiastes, Psalm 1 shows us how God wants us to live. It's pretty simple. It shows us how God wants us to live. It provides a contrast between right living and wrong living. It gives us what the consequences are for the wicked and what the rewards are for the righteous. The title of my message is simply Two Ways to Live, which is what the psalmist is after here. And his desire, the psalmist's desire in Psalm 1 is to teach us the way of blessedness, what it means, how to live, that you might be blessed. And to warn us of what happens if you live the other way. Because there are only two ways to live. You either live walking with God or you live walking away from God. There's only two ways to live. And the psalmist is after teaching us and inspiring us, and motivating us, and challenging us to two ways to live. Now, this may seem elementary to a group of mature believers. But this is put here for a reason. This is put here for a reason. And as we read on, I think you'll understand why. Spurgeon said this about Psalm 1. He said, The psalmist's desire in Psalm 1 is to teach the way of blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sinners. Following the way of the righteous leads to delight, but following the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's what Psalm 1 is about. And there are two points this morning that I'd like to make about that psalm. First is, there's a promise. And secondly, there is a warning. And I want to talk about the promise. Let's read Psalm 1 together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Poetry is not an easy thing to understand. You can read certain poems, like I talked about last week, Beowulf, having to learn that in, in high school. Um, you just read the first line or two and you just think, no, I, show me where the cliff notes are. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to write our report from the cliff notes. We are, we're not going to try and read this poem. And, and there, are, there are certain elements to every poem, especially Hebrew poetry. And we're going to encounter that again and again as we study together on Sunday mornings. But as you study the Psalms privately, I, I want to encourage you to, to get a hold of some of the, the Hebrew elements that, that will help you not only understand the Psalm, but I think be impactful for you. There are things in this Psalm that are, are interesting, but also, as you'll see, I mean, the Psalms have numerous metaphors, just Time and time again, you'll see in the psalm metaphors. You'll see simile. So, so we see a simile here in verse 3. He is like a tree. That is, that is what a blessed man is. Or the, the wicked are not so in verse 4. They are like chaff. That When you see the word like, they are like. He is like. There is a simile. And there's a contrast being made here. Throughout Hebrew poetry, there is what is called parallelism, where you will see a verse and then there'll be another verse that seems repetitive. It's, it's kind of like the same thing, but it's, it, and it is the same in content, but the author has written it to make a stronger point. And we can see that in verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That's parallelism. Two similar verses, two basically the same content. You will not stand in the judgment, and sinners will not be in the congregation of the righteous. There is, there's a point the author is trying to make. And you're going to read that, and we'll, we'll be seeing that throughout the Psalms as well. I realize you didn't want a lesson on poetry this morning. But these are the words of our Lord. These are inspired, authoritative, all-sufficient, all-powerful words. That when we read these words, when I read that psalm just a moment ago, that was not Larry Malament reading the psalm per se. It was God speaking to his people this morning. We... We must, as a church, and I know that you too, we must, have, as a church, always have a deep reverence for God's Word. Not just God's Word as, I have my Bible, but when God's Word is read, we listen 
with the intent of saying, God is speaking to me. What is he saying? What does the Lord want to communicate to me today? My words are fallible. God's are infallible. I will try with my fallible words to communicate the content, the intent, the depth of what the Lord is speaking to you. And even in my weakness and my fallibility, even in my inability to go as deep as the Lord is because he is infinite and I am finite, God is speaking to you. And as a number of authors have written in Scripture, one of the Psalms says, I tremble at your word. I want us to tremble as we read this Psalm. I want us to tremble when we open up this Bible and look at the words that God has created. For He is the Word become flesh. Two points this morning. A promise. Walk God's way and you will be blessed. And a warning. Walk your own way and you will be cursed. Let's look at the promise. If you walk God's way, you will be blessed. It's an interesting way how the psalmist begins. Blessed is the man who, and he says, he, he goes into the negative. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There are three things that characterize a man who is blessed. Three things. Number one, he rejects the wicked. He delights in the law of God. And he receives a reward from God. The blessed man rejects the way of the wicked, delights in the law of God, and receives a reward from God. Look at verse 1, how the blessed man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He rejects the counsel of the wicked. Now, the emphasis actually is not so much in the word counsel as it is in the word walks. Who walks not. Who walks not. What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? I've been trying to to come up with that because I, I don't know many of us or any of us in this church family who seeks out unbiblical counsel. But yet we, we do have a temptation to walk in the counsel of the wicked. And I think it happens in, I believe it happens in subtle ways. It happens when society, when our culture determines right from wrong. It happens when our culture redefines truth. And it, it doesn't happen 
in these huge explosions. It happens in subtle changes. And after a while, it becomes what we would call the norm. Oh, that's what you do. That's the norm. And it can happen from everything from family life to work life to the way you just approach life. You can walk in the counsel of the wicked. Whether it's just... I'm just trying to think of illustrations that would help grasp what it means to walk in the counsel of the wicked. I was just thinking, you, there, are, there are churches today that have fully embraced homosexuality and same-sex marriage, which is not marriage at all. And they fully embrace the culture's view of civil rights in lieu of Scripture's authority. And you have well-meaning believers who are genuine believers who think we need, to, we need to put civil rights forward. And that's part of it. And they redefine truth. They redefine Scripture. That's walking in the counsel of the wicked. And that's just one example. Parenting, uh, it's another one. And I know this is a challenge for some, but recently you see in the news Adrian Peterson of the Minnesota Vikings who disciplined his child, and, and some would say he abused his child with a switch. And, and, so, and it sounds like he, he hurt his child. I don't have all the facts, so I can't comment on that. But, but what society did, I mean, if you read the news reports and the commentaries and the opinions in the newspaper, the editorials afterward, all of a sudden there was this heightened sense of nobody should ever spank a child. Nobody. And yet, I believe Scripture provides parents with the wisdom necessary to discipline and train and lead their children in a loving way so that they can grow and become godly men and women as their parents continue to proclaim the gospel. Now, Now, listen, godly discipline does not bring about salvation. God alone brings about salvation in the heart of a child. But we do and can position our children to do right things, to live rightly. Proverbs provides a whole, a whole book of wisdom to do that. And yet now our society is saying that corporal punishment is abusive. And there are countries in our world that outlaw corporal punishment in spite of the truth of Scripture. That is walking in the counsel of the wicked. Oh yeah, that, our, our government says it's right. It must be. I mean, there's just ways that we do that. And, and blessed is the man who does not walk in that counsel. We, we determine life through the eyes of Scripture. We filter life through God's Word. We make decisions through Scripture. 
That is what it means to reject the way of the wicked. He rejects their ways. He, he says that he does not stand in the way of sinners. And, and that's not this picture of this group of sinners coming along and this guy goes and stands in their way. What, what, it's, what it's noting is what it means to stand in. It's kind of like he's standing in their shoes. That's what it means to stand in the way of the wicked. And this blessed man does not do that. He does not stand in the company of the wicked. He does not make companions who are, who are the wicked his friends. As Proverbs says, the companion of fools suffers harm. And thirdly, he, re- and he also rejects their arrogance. He not only does not stand in the way of sinners, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers. And I have a perfect illustration for this. Because when I was at the, the Braves game with Chris and the Nats were playing the Braves and the Braves were losing, I was surrounded by scoffers and mockers who were scoffing at me and mocking me. But more importantly, they were mocking my braves. Turn on, turn on any NFL, NFL game and you will see people who are mocking the other team. They are, they are ridiculing them. They even in Philadelphia ridicule Santa Claus. I mean, they, they, that's mockery. And that is, that's what the picture is painted here by the author that these, these people mock those who do love God, who follow God. They mock the Lord himself. Blessed is the man who rejects the counsel of the wicked, who rejects the way of sinners, who rejects the seat of scoffers. The blessed man rejects their ways. The blessed man also delights in all the ways of God. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And that word law is is the word of God. He's referring back to the five books of Moses. He's referring to the Pentateuch. Blessed is the man who, who delights in the law of God, who delights in Leviticus. I didn't hear an amen at that moment. (laughs) He knows and he follows God's way because he knows and delights in God's word. He fears God. That is the man who is blessed and he brings glory to God because he knows God's word. He obeys God's word. And so the blessed man rejects the way of the wicked, but he also delights in the law of God. And thirdly, the blessed man is rewarded. He's rewarded by God. He rejects the way, he delights, and he is rewarded by God. Look at verse, look at verse 3. Here is the reward. He is like a tree planted. Now this is a simile. He is like a tree. He is not a tree. He is like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That is what the blessed man is like. He's like a tree. He's planted by streams of water, always nourished. A tree has deep roots and is is not going anywhere. This tree bears fruit in seasons. And seasons of learning sometimes are fruitless, but God is always there. So even when, see, there is a season for fruit, but there's a season when there is no fruit. But that's still a season of learning. And the blessed man is still being nourished. He's still by streams of water. He's still rooted deep like a tree. That is the blessed man. And even when the seasons are fruitless, he knows God is there because he's delighted in the law of God. And his leaf does not wither, he's always sustained. And even when it may be a season of fruitlessness, whatever he does, and all that he does, he prospers. That's amazing. God God is saying to you this morning, if you don't sit in the way of mockers, you don't stand in the way of sinners, you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, you will be like this. And in all that you do, you will prosper. And you may not feel like you're prospering this morning. You may feel like you are in a fruitless season this morning. And the psalmist is wanting to draw you in to say, that's okay. But there's even a greater promise here. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here's the reward. We'll stand at the day of judgment and be acquitted. The wicked will not stand in judgment, but we will and we'll be acquitted. We will live in the congregation of the righteous Because we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. We get to experience community because we have been acquitted. And God knows our way. Nothing happens. No experience goes on in our life where God is not in control and God is not there. God knows our way. He knows the way of the righteous. He knows our beginning and our end. The blessed man. The blessed man. He rejects the ways of the wicked. He delights in the law of God. And he is rewarded by the Lord. But the psalmist also provides a warning. And it's a warning that we as Christians may easily pass over because we're thinking, well, I'm not that way anymore. 
And yet the temptations of living in a fallen world and in fallen bodies among other fallen human beings and the temptations that a world provides, these warnings are for us as well. The warning is if you walk in your own way, you will perish. When men, when men live in sin, I mean, this, this passage in verse 1, it, it helps us to see the way of the wicked. They go from bad to worse. They walk in the counsel of the wicked, but then they stand, they congregate with sinners, and eventually they end up in the seat of scoffers. They end up in the seat of mockers. The wicked live as though God does not exist. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, interestingly, the same three things that characterize the blessed man characterize the wicked man. Rejection, delight, and reward. Same three things. The wicked man reject God's ways. They reject God's truth and don't take their counsel from him. They take counsel from the wicked. They reject God's ways and walk down a broad road to destruction. Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. They reject God's ways and walk down that road and they reject God's people. They stand with sinners. They sit with scoffers. They reject the congregation of the righteous. You'd be surprised at how many Christians during a very difficult season end up rejecting the congregation of the righteous. They create reasons not to fellowship with God's people. They create reasons not to spend time in God's church. They create reasons based on their circumstances and their experience. And they reject the very things that God has provided for them. And in process, they reject the counsel of the Lord because the counsel of God comes through the word of God, which is preached that you might know the word of God. You'd be surprised how quickly Christians at times can walk that way. They can reject God's ways. We are not to forsake the assembling of the saints. And when we do, we become those who do walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers because we end up not being in the congregation of the righteous. The same three things that characterize the blessed characterize the wicked. Rejection. The second one is they don't delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in their sin. They delight in their sin. They delight in their own wisdom, which is foolishness. Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
They delight in falsehood rather than delighting in truth. There, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, but not the wicked. They don't delight in truth. And finally, they are rewarded on the day of judgment. And there's another simile that the author uses in verse 4. The wicked are not so. Not, the wicked are not like a tree. They are not planted by streams of water. They don't yield fruit in season. They, their leaf does wither. In all that they do, they do not prosper. The wicked are like chaff. Chaff. When wheat is being separated and, and it's lighter, chaff is thrown up and it's either driven away by the wind or it's burned up. That's the reward of the wicked. That's the way the wicked go. The wicked do not experience the promises of verse 3. They will eventually perish as you read in verse 6. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. Now, the psalmist begins this psalm, like I said, in an interesting way. He describes a godly man by what a godly man does not do. And it's because all of us can relate to the way of the wicked. And the reason we can relate to the way of the wicked is because that's who we all were. That's where we all began. That's what we are all capable of doing. You know, the goal of godly living is a lofty one. It is an incredibly lofty one. Think about it. Is there anybody really capable of never walking in the counsel of the wicked? Is there anybody here who is capable of never standing in the way of sinners? Is there anybody here who is not capable of sitting in the seat of scoffers? Now you may think, yeah, I'm not going to do those things. Okay, well, let me go on a little bit. Uh, Is your delight in the law of the Lord? And do you meditate on his law day and night? In other words, is there ever a time where you're not meditating on the law of God? Do you always delight in the law of God? I don't think so. I don't think it's possible. I live in a fallen world. And I have a fallen body. Now, is it possible to not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers? Well, actually, in one way, it is possible. Look at verse 1 again. But look at verse 1 as describing Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man, Christ, who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who never stood in the way of sinners, who never sat in the sea of scoffers, who always delighted in the law of of the Lord who always meditated on the law day and night who died on a tree blessed is that man Jesus did not walk in the counsel of the wicked he 
did not stand in the way of sinners. He did not sit in the seat of scoffers. He loved and delighted in the law of God. And he meditated on that law day and night because he himself is the word of God. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, remained sinless. And he is the blessed one. Blessed is the man. And it's because he is the man, because he did never do these things and he did delight in the law, it's because of that that we can follow after him. We can walk in his ways. And as we enter into this series in Psalms, this book of Psalms, the, the point the author is making in this first Psalm is which way will you live? Because when you read the Psalms, you have to dis- determine, am I walking in the way of the righteous or am I walking in the way of the wicked? And it's in, when I read the Psalms, it will determine how I respond to the Psalms. It will determine how I live the Psalms. This is the gateway. It's the instruction for the rest of the Psalms. If I walk in the way of the wicked, and don't, don't misunderstand when I say walking in the way of the wicked, it doesn't mean that you are reprobate, that you're so wicked you are just... You have no morals and you have no conscience whatsoever. That is not what it's saying. But, but think about this. When, when you're, if you are walking and considering the counsel of the wicked and you do read a, a, a psalm like Psalm 73, for I was envy of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious. If you don't end up at the end of that psalm, the way the writer did, where, but as for me, it is good to be near the Lord. You have walked in the way of the wicked. You don't remain where you began in the Psalms. Thank God I can, with David, cry out when my neighbor drives around in a new car and I look at my 1995 Corolla and I envy the prosperity of the wicked. That I don't live there. And there's, a, there's innumerable ways we can do that. And so the psalmist is instructing us. This is who we are to be. And let us always go back to the ways of God. Do not walk in the way of sinners. And that's the question this morning. Do you? Do you delight in God's word? Do you read it regularly? Do you meditate on God's word? Do you think about it, pray it, sing it, memorize it? Because at the heart of this is the way we are going to walk the way of the righteous is delighting in the law of God and meditating on it day and night. And all these things, these rewards are ours. There's the way of the righteous man. Rejection, delight, and reward. And there's the way of the wicked. Rejection, delight, and reward.
Brothers and sisters, God has put us here for a reason. I am so excited about what our future holds. And I think a psalm like this is a sober psalm because it lays the groundwork for what it means for us to live for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to live for your glory. And where there are ways that we walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, where we are not delighting in your law, Lord, would you please show us this morning? And Lord, I pray that you would, in your mercy, bring about a change. Father, we, we, do, we do repent of not walking in your ways. And we desire to be like trees planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, having a leaf that does not wither, and all that we do, seeing it prosper for the glory of God. Lord, thanks for letting us live in the congregation of the righteous. That's a gift from you. And we receive that gift gratefully in Jesus' name. Amen.